Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Pastor Jeff Stewart. I don't know if you noticed in the progression of that where people got a little surface. And as it went through it, they got a little deeper, more contemplative of what was going on in their lives. And the last guy, I think, is probably a model for us this morning. He was more contemplative about his life, the brokenness in his life. And so the question that I want to ask you, that you saw up there, what does it mean? What does it mean if there are changes and in, in internal transformation that takes place in a person's life? I want us to discover that this morning and for the next several weeks as we start this new series. What does it mean? It's um, uh, interesting how some of the people can rattle off surface things like, oh, and they weren't thinking about the, the progression of, I want a house. Oh, oh, yeah, and by the way, a job. You know, you'd, you'd think you had to put one before the other. <clears throat> or the guy, I don't know, quit smoking, or, you know. And the guy with a hard hat, I don't want to make him angry. Don't want to make him angry, unless I get a few drinks in him. And that may be the problem. <laughs> but you see, that's something that I think we need to think about as we ask the question, what does it mean? What does it mean to be a real, sincere, genuine follower of Jesus Christ? Now, those are redundant. I know there's a redundancy in there, but it's for a purpose of the emphasis. What does it mean? The whole culture out there has ideas of what it means to look like that. And we have the culture that presents caricatures to us because it's representative of what a lot of people think out there. We've always had the character on The Simpsons of a giddily God-loving Ned Flanders. You know, everything's oakly deltly all the time. Everything's fine. And uh, some people think that uh, repel, repels them from becoming Christians because there are people that act that way. There are also, I don't know if you've seen on uh, Everybody Loves Raymond, but that the Robert Barone's in-laws, Hank and Pat McDougal, they're going to, everything's okay, all fine, and they're just sweetie, sweetie, sweetie. And it's kind of sickening. And you want to say, no, that's not who we are as followers of Christ. Or this bumper sticker I once saw, I, I hope I, that none of you have this on your car. If you do, I'm sorry. But, you know... It may be that way with you, but it isn't that way with me. You know, everything was bad, and then all of a sudden, you know, overnight, everything's okay. It's not really that way. There are also some people in the culture with, that are critical about Christians. And I've, I read a quote here recently that, they, that someone said, there's a frightening number of so-called Christians uh, who can be best described as creepy, rigid, arrogant, cruel, know-it-all, pompous, obnoxious, and treacherous, Better known by the acronym Crackpot. I mean, there are a lot of folks out there that are crackpots. The, uh, Fred Phelps of Topeka, Kansas, Westboro Baptist Church, goes around to funerals and protests. Even the Americans that die at the war. Thank God for September 11th. Those are crackpots. That's not what I want us to project or portray as followers of Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be a real, sincere, genuine follower of Jesus Christ? Well, how about this? I'm going to reflect on my own life this morning. Knowing and following is not always easy. It's not always easy. And Jesus warned us about that. But it's a daily encounter with the teachings of God and His Word through small groups and through daily Bible study and the teachings of Jesus Christ and how those teachings apply to our lives on a daily basis. This new series we're calling 24-7. You hear it all the time because our culture is that way, always on the move. We picked up uh, Tina's sister and, and uh, family last night, midnight, from SFO coming back. And there was a wreck on the bridge and it was backed up. There was a lot of traffic at midnight coming to and fro in the city. 24-7. That's the way we live our lives. But... 
but to be changed, to be, have the ongoing, ongoing process to be a follower of Christ happens with us 24 days, 24 hours a week, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. I could say all those things and cover it, all the territory. That's what happens. It's the ongoing process of transformation. And that's something we need to know as followers of Christ, what the term transformation means. It is a key dynamic in following Christ. Transformation is a key dynamic in following Christ. It's the metamorphosis. It is that analogy of the caterpillar turning into the beautiful butterfly. Unless you look at its face under an electron microscope. It's not so beautiful. But we see the beautiful butterflies that come, come about in the chrysalis where the form changes. That's what's happening to us. As followers of Christ, here are the scriptures that we need to remember and recall that should be banner scriptures for us always. Romans 12, 2. Do not conform, do not conform with form any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, a new perspective. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. 1 John 3, 2 talks about that process. Dear friends, now we are the children of God. We are followers of Christ. And what we will be has not yet been made known. It's daily with us in that ongoing process. What we will be has not yet been made known. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we, with unveiled faces, all reflect the Lord's glory, His character, His likeness. We are representatives. And we're being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory. It's incremental, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. If you are a follower of Christ, or if you are even a pre-follower of Christ, you haven't made that decision yet. Something is happening within you. Many of you who came to Christ, you remember the draw that you had before you made that decision. You remember that? There was something attractive and appealing about the people or God's love. There's a process of transformation taking place in your life even before you make that decision to follow. I believe that. I've seen it happen in people's lives. If you're a follower, your inner form or a pre-follower is being forged in something new and better 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Are you aware of that? That's That's exciting. It's also a little bit scary because you have no idea what God wants to form you to be and there are some things along the way that are lessons of, of how that happens. Now, in plotting out this series, I wanted to do something fun and look up any verse that was 24-7. I thought, well, listen, I want to be as creative and innovative as I can. So I looked as many as I could and I thought it would be like the experience where you just open the Bible, which you shouldn't be doing to, you know, to get a verse for the day. Because you might turn to Mark 14.52 and it says he fled naked leaving his garment behind. You you can't use that passage here. But but one that I came across I thought was very good, very appropriate, I'd like to use for the next several weeks is Jeremiah 24.7. It just jumped out at me as I read it. It says, I will give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord. They will be my people. And I will be their God, for they will return to me with all their heart. What does it mean to be a real, sincere, genuine follower of Jesus Christ? It isn't always easy. It is not always easy. But it is a 24-7 daily encounter in the ongoing process of transformation in the teachings of God's Word and how teachings of Jesus apply to our lives. It means having a heart to know God. That's what it says there. And what does that look like? 
Well, I want to reflect on my own life and what I've learned through, through my own fellowship with others in small groups and reading God's Word. What a heart to know God looks like. First of all, we need to know this. It is a heart of authenticity. It's a heart of authenticity. Uh, You've got to be real. You have to be absolutely real. He says, I will give them a heart to know me. And you know, knowledge and authenticity, they go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. What does it mean to know? Well, in the Bible, one of the first words that's used is the most intimate relationship between a husband and a wife. Genesis 4 once says, now Adam knew his wife Eve. And it doesn't say after that they played backgammon and they went to the park and all that stuff. She conceived and bore Cain. That's authenticity. That's knowledge. How authentic can you get? When two people marry and share private quarters. Now I'm going to try something here. I hope this works. I'm going to ask everybody to stand. Okay? Alright. Listen carefully and I want you to respond to this question. Because there should only be one response to this. If you haven't been married to me for 29 years today, sit down. (laughs) That's for you. That's for you. I will give them a heart to know me. Authenticity and knowledge. Now, it's amazing how good friendships... And, and families have that knowledge and authenticity with, with each other. But there's something very dynamic about a married couple that learns these things. And, and you know the word couple itself comes from the physical act. But not only does it happen in your marriage physically, but it's emotionally, psychologically, and, and all the things that go along with it socially. You know, you learn things that you didn't anticipate in the courtship process. You, you know, and, and you just say things like, well, I didn't know that about her. Or I didn't know he responded to things that way. And it's authenticity. It's knowledge where you get to know each other. little sidebar here, folks. I have learned in the last few years by the person that I sleep with that I am a snorer. <laughs> I just learned that about five years ago. I, have a, I am a snorer. And I'm sure there's a few of you here that are as well. And, and I, so I, you know, every once in a while I, I ask, well, how do I snore? Can you record it for me? <laughs> but now I'm aware of it. Every once in a while I wake up just right after I hear my snore. <laughs> oh, that's pretty bad. That's authenticity. That's knowledge. And, I, and a few weeks ago we went down to Saddleback to a conference and Johnny Walsh, our uh, pastor of youth, was going to be in my roommate. I said, Johnny, I want you to know something about me. I want to be authentic with you. Um, I snore. And I felt a lot better when he says, oh, that's nothing. I said, what? He says, well, I do all kinds of bizarre things in my sleep. <laughs> and he'd been, he'd been married for about eight weeks, and he said, Kate told me that I, I got up one night and started doing construction on the wall. <laughs> I didn't know Johnny had that in him. One, one morning I woke up, and there he was on his bed, propped up on his elbows, and his head was up, and he was actually leading ministry with people. And I thought, that's, that's a good thing or a bad thing. One thing he's always thinking about, or it's only in his dreams. <laughs> but he told me, you know, that's authenticity, that's knowledge. We need to be real. That's real, folks. We have to be real in order to be followers of Christ. We have to know and we have to be real. Listen to Psalm 139, 1-6. through 6. This has penetrated my heart and my life. 
David says, Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit. You know when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. That's a scary one. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue on the freeway, you know it completely. (laughs) That's not in there. That's not in there. Sorry. I threw that in. You know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in, behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Do you know that God knows you? You gotta be authentic to be a follower of Jesus Christ in your small groups, in your trust with each other. If you have a relationship with another Christ follower, you need to be forthright about some of the struggles you have if they can identify with your vulnerability. That will help the ongoing process of transformation tremendously. It's a heart to know God. It takes authenticity. Another way a heart to know God looks is to have a heart of dependency. That goes smack against our culture. What are we celebrating in two days? Our independence as a nation. But who are we? We are independent, but what, what, what's the name of our country? The United States of America. We think, we, are, we think we are independent. We are not dependent. We are not dependent. We, we think we are, we're not, but we, we, we want to be independent. We want to be independent. We love it. It makes us party. We show off fireworks for it. In 1969, Frank Sinatra came out with a song. Some of you older folks remember it. I did it my way. Remember that song? <clears throat> and listening to that word, little song, it just kind of it just kind of rubs against the grain of who we are supposed to be as Christ followers. Listen to some of the lyrics here. He says, "For what is a man? What has he got?" I mean, he's a tough guy, you know. If not himself, then he is not. To say the things he truly feels, and not the words of one who kneels. The records show I took the blows and did it my way. What a cool song that was for all the tough people out there that, that are independent. You know what's ironic about that song? It was co-written by Frank Sinatra and Paul Anka. Co-written. They should have called it, we did it our way. <laughs> hey, can you help me with this pal? Can you help me with this song? I want to do it my way. Isn't that ironic? And it's been covered by, uh, by a lot of people since then. A lot of artists have covered that song. How independent are they if they're covering somebody else's song? Ray Conniff, Elvis Presley, <clears throat> Julio Iglesias, Luciano Pavarotti. Can you imagine a tenor, opera singer? Just, just doesn't go together. It's not the tough thing. And here, here's someone I think is pretty interesting that very apropos Simon Cowell did this song. You see him, he's always doing it his way. Everyone says something about... American Idol, he wants to do it his way. And the last time Frank Sinatra recorded it, it was a duet with Willie Nelson. <laughs> Two of them. Now you think, well, the culture doesn't get that, but we as followers of Christ, do we understand that? You think we get it? No. We're, we're here today, and there are denominations elsewhere, meeting, they're going to do it their way, you do it your way, we'll do it our way, we'll do drums and bass, and you do organ, and you do it. We're just so independently minded. When I went to Bible college, they often said that uh, we, we are friends of the independent fundamental churches. We are friends of the independent fundamental churches. And they had a group that used to come to us, uh, an organization called the IFCA. And they would always in chapel say, we are not a denomination. But I always thought it was ironic what, the name, what those letters stood for in the IFCA. It was the Independent 
Fundamental Church Association. <laughs> Wait a minute. You're independent fundamental church. Yes, we stand on our own, but we're together. <laughs> you're not independent. You say you're independent, but you're depending on others to be independent. That's how ironic it is, even as followers of Christ. We have to have a heart to know God that is dependent, that is authentic, and is dependent. We will not undergo the process of transformation without those things. Listen to Ephesians 3, 14 and 15. For this reason, just the opposite of what Frank Sinatra says, I kneel before the Father. I depend on the Father from whom His whole family in heaven and earth derives its name. Derives His name. Oh, we're proud of our names, aren't we? Just a few weeks ago, Tina and I got to go to Scotland. We had a lifelong dream of going to Scotland, so we just finally did it. Finally just decided to go to Scotland. It was pretty interesting to learn about the clans and the Stuart clan and how proud they are and how far back they go in the McGregors and the McDonald's and the Campbell's. And the DeSimones and the Scavos. Oh, they're a little bit further south. But they were proud of their name. But they were dependent upon generation after generation to share that name. And I, I was uh, talking to the, uh, the, our tour guide. I was proud of the fact that my great-grandfather came over from Scotland. And, and when I did a little research on his, on his roots, I found out he was born in Penrith, England. I thought, my dad told me he was Scottish. He's born in England. And I discovered from our tour guide, I felt really vindicated when he told me, oh, years ago, Penrith was Scotland. The border changed over the wars, Braveheart, Mel Gibson, and Liam Neeson, and all that stuff. <laughs> and Penrith was Scottish, so I was proud. I derived my name from the Scots. But we're dependent on others for that. This, this says, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven, his whole family in heaven, and earth derives his name. That I am the Lord. They will be my people and I will be their God. It's interesting about the name Yahweh. Anytime you see in your Bible Lord in capitals, it's for Yahweh. We're going to sing a song at the end about Yahweh. It's interesting that God reveals himself to Moses and Moses says, what is your name? And he says, Yahweh. It's not his name like George or Fred. It's who he is. It's a, it's a verb of existence. He just utters existence. And he throws in two letters that are characteristic in the Hebrew alphabet at the very beginning of every letter and at the end of every letter. It's a yod. And he says, beginning and ending existence is who I am. But he humbled himself and only God is independent, but he became dependent. He came down as Jesus Christ. Dependent upon uh, in a mother's womb. And the nurturing and the rearing and, and all the things that go with growing up as one of us. He emptied himself. So he became dependent to model that for us. That's what a heart of transformation takes. It takes authenticity. It takes dependence. We need to do that in order to be transformed. And we need to understand when those moments are taking place where we are dependent, where we think we're independent. My dad died in 1984. Up to that point, he was the A number one driver. Nobody drove better than him. He died, I took over. <laughs> I am number one. And I have those moments where I'm on the freeway. Even yesterday I felt really cool because the traffic from the bridge went all the way down to Sun Valley Mall. I was doing a baseball game. I know a back way. And I took the back way, you know, over there by Shell and stuff. And none of the tourists know that. All the people during the corporate workday world know that. 
I got home 30 minutes, you know. But here I am. Who do you think you are, Jeff? You're one among all these millions of people. They're driving too. Who do you think you are? We have those moments where God has transformed us, where we are not independent. We are dependent. Listen to the words of James 4, 8 through 10. These words remind me often. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Are you double-minded? I am double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Now, this isn't a bad, bad dog. Go cower in the corner. It isn't the, that isn't the God's purpose with this. But it's to be reflective of being dependent upon him. In the moments of transformation or where we sit and consider God's power and influence in our lives. God will dust the dirt off of us as we fall down and give us a renewed heart. A renewed heart to know him. And we're, and we're dusted off and God gets us back on our journey. And that happens continually. It's happened to me many times. It's a heart to know God. It's a heart of dependency. What does a heart look like besides that? It's also a heart of obedience. There's another concept that we get messed up on. Obedience. I mean, we hear it as children being raised. I, I know, I'm, I, I've told you before, I have a twin brother. He was five minutes older than me, and so we had the same mentality. You know, we had the same experience in life. We were on, we waved each other on, and we liked to have fun at other people's expense. And my parents, every time they had a social event or you know, going to a wedding or something, they got a little nervous. And they would sit there, you will behave. You will obey me. If I say something, you'll listen. Okay. Where are they? Where are they? Let's go. Let's go do something. Or if, how many of you have been in the uh, military? You know, you've been through boot camp or BCT or something. There's obedience there. Semper Fi. Pop tall. Drop, give me 50. Run two miles till you get it right. That's the idea we have of obedience. That's not what obedience is. Obedience is the fruit. It is the fruit of authenticity and dependence. It's contemplating and realizing what we learn from God and what we learn in the ongoing process of transformation. It is the fruit. He says, they will return to me with all their heart. Now, we often get thrown off with that. They will return to me with all their heart. It is the byproduct. It's not robotic. I will obey Christ no matter what. Um, Ned Flanders uh, was once quoted as saying, uh, uh, I've done everything the Bible says, even the stuff that contradicts the other stuff. You know. <laughs> That's not obedience. Obedience results from authenticity and dependency. And we have many examples in the scriptures. We should not enshrine these people as saints only in the fact that saints that they're fellow followers we don't need to put halos because they're people like us and the one that goes back the furthest is Abraham because after generation after generation after generation he was the one that obeyed and he's characterized as one who believes eight times the Bible says that that he believed and God declared to him righteousness he esteemed it to him as righteousness he didn't go where's a righteous guy where's a righteous guy oh there's one there he obeyed and it says in Genesis 26 5 he obeyed and kept my requirements 
Now obeyed and kept come from the same Hebrew root word, which means which is Shema. And Shemar. They say the same word. It's the same word repeated. He obeyed and kept. Shema Shemar. He heard. And he listened. He contemplated. Maybe some of you know that, that in Bar Mitzvahs, the, the Shema is what the kids are, are uttering. It's the, it's the creed of the Jewish faith. Hear, O Israel, the Lord God, He is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. The first word is hear, O Israel. Shema. It's called the Shema. It means to obey. It means to contemplate and listen. He listened and applied. Abraham listened and applied what he heard because he was authentic before God, because he was dependent on God. And you know what Jesus said often? And I love the Jewishness of Jesus, the irony that goes with it. He often said, after a teaching, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. You got ears? Hear. Contemplate. Consider. What you've heard, the challenge that comes with the truth of God. It's the challenge that leads to change in obedience. Some people don't want to come to Christ because oh, I'll have to change. You saw some of those people up there. I'll have to change. I don't want to be one of those. It's the challenge. Will you consider the challenge and the principles that gradually changes? Where you don't see the change yourself take place. Because it is a, it is a challenge. And maybe you go to your 10-year high school reunion, your 20-year high school reunion, and they go, oh, you've changed. You don't see it happening. It's an ongoing process. You've changed. I remember one guy coming up to me at a 10-year reunion, and he said, I heard something about you. I don't know if it's true. <laughs> I heard it. You're a minister. And, you know, how do you explain that to somebody? It's just a gradual change that takes place by listening and applying the things you hear. That's obedience. That's obedience. It's not pop, tall, drop, give me 50. It's listening and applying. And so, in conclusion, what, what it is to have a heart to know God are all of these things. And I hope that you will hear that in these messages in the next three or four weeks. And we're going to have people like you share some of their stories of that ongoing process of transformation. How one came out of darkness into light. How one was, was uh, uh, encountered with the truth. The truth of their own lives and stuff. And how gradually things changed. I will give them a heart to know me. That I am the Lord. They will be my people. I will be their God. For they will return to me with all their heart. It's not always easy. It's a 24-7 encounter of faith. You may have those moments at 3 o'clock in the morning. You're being transformed. You may have those in the moments on the freeway where you catch yourself. You're being transformed. You see, for years we've made a caricature out of what following Christ is. And we don't need to do that anymore. We need to be real with each other and we need to be real with the world we need to be challenged which results in change nothing that we can bring upon ourselves but only by God's power and influence I want to invite you to bow your heads as we pray together Lord we often <clears throat> will challenge people to give their hearts over to you to give their hearts to Jesus and sometimes we forget what that means. Only that the heart is representative of everything that is internal, everything that is in us that we don't see, that other people don't see. When other people aren't looking the way we are, 
You see those, Lord. You, you are the one who is, empowers us in this ongoing process. And, and the, the heart is just internally being given over to you. We trust that your word and that your teachings will challenge us. And, and penetrate what's inside us so that we have a heart to know you. And we concur that you already know us. And we can do that with each other and before you, God. I pray that we as a fellowship here would be real with each other. That we would be dependent upon each other and you. And that we would listen and consider what it is we learn through your word and, and through our small groups and, and through the proclamation of what takes place on Saturday and Sunday here. And that we would submit to that process, Lord, so that we can be formed in the character you desire to demonstrate your love to this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.